0: This is Science Friday. I am Ira Plato. One of my favorite topics is the science of comedy or the comedy in science. And you know what? Sometimes I think about doing science stand-up like this. Let me try one out on you. A proton walks into a bar and asks the bartender for a beer. The bartender says, are you sure? The proton says, I'm positive. Ooh, ooh. How about this one? How do you get a baby astronaut to fall asleep? You rock it. Tough room. All right. All right. All right. I get the picture. Well, if you've listened to this show for even a little, you know that I love puns and dad jokes, whether they're good or not so good. Because when you tell a joke, good or bad, you get people's attention. So it can be a great way to talk about science, encourage people to listen, maybe even teach someone something new. Thankfully, there are people much better at telling science jokes than me. Professional comedians, turning out joke after joke about physics, biology, and even research methodology. Yes, take this one from comedian Shang Wang about a common problem with medical research.
1: But how many more times are we going to have to read an article about how they found a new cure for cancer that only works on rats. Can we stop printing this article? Can we agree that does not belong in the human newspaper? Oh man, that's rat news. That's wonderful for the rat community, let them know. Let them know, but keep us out of that conversation.
0: (laughs) That is funny. Here with me now to talk about their work as comedians with a nerdy twist are my guests, Kasha Patel, science journalist and stand up comedian, and founder of DC Science Comedy in Washington, DC. Chuck Nice, 20 year veteran of stand up comedy and co host of Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And our very own, Kyle Marin Verturbo, community manager at Science Friday and creator of The Symposium academic standup, NYC. Oh, one last warning. Of course, we're talking to comedians about doing comedy and yes, certain language comes with it. You know what I mean? So maybe don't listen with someone you wouldn't bring to a comedy club. Okay, welcome all of you to Science Friday. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. Uh,
0: Kyle, Kasha, you both started your lives in science let me ask you, Kyle, how did stand-up comedy enter the mix?
3: Uh, that's a great question. I, I actually never thought of myself as a creative person, even when I was doing research. Um, but sometime in the middle of my PhD program, I discovered stand-up in the UK. I think for me, I'm so used to talking about science on, like, the product end of it. You know, you've gone through the research, telling people what you found, you know. But I'd never felt free to talk about what that process actually looks like, that it's messy, that, you know, you have to go through internal politics sometimes, and being able to do that with stand-up comedy was completely liberating, because then I could really talk and share what life was like as a scientist.
0: That's really interesting. And and Kasha. How did your how did your comedy get mixed in with your science?
2: (laughs) So I decided to do stand up comedy because I thought it'd be something surprising for me to do. I thought people wouldn't expect like this, you know, lanky, tall Indian girl who looks very studious to go up there and try and do some jokes. To me, science was all around me. I grew up in this household with uh, physicians and it made sense to me to make jokes about science. So I started doing that, and then I realized, even though I was in Boston, people did not like those. One, because I was terrible at stand-up, so everyone (laughs) is terrible when they first start something, but it's so egregious in stand-up comedy. Then I moved to Washington, D.C. People at my work, which was uh, NASA at that time, Uh, found out that I did stand-up comedy. They asked me, hey, do you do jokes about science? And I said, you would come to a stand-up comedy show about science. And they said, yes. And I put it on, and then more people kept coming. And that's how my science comedy career got started.
0: That's amazing. Chuck, I put the same question to you, although I know you have kind of a different story because you've been in comedy for many years.
1: Yeah, so um, the science did not come first. Uh, I came to stand up comedy the, tr- the traditional route, uh, where I started with a scarred childhood and then developed a drinking <laughs> problem. And. Um... <laughs> Wish I had a rim shot here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, really, I've always been a closeted geek, nerd. I've always been a person who read scientific materials and um, admired science and the scientific method and um, i think that stand-up comedy and science um, have very much in common in that respect because you know when you think about it uh, you know we we normally start with an observation or a question We don't really then research it, but we do formulate a hypothesis about that observation. The experimentation is the joke itself, seeing whether or not it will get a laugh. And there's only one way you can figure out if a joke is going to get a laugh, and that is you have to tell it in front of an audience. And then after that, you go, wow, that sucked. I can't yeah. believe that wasn't funny because I really thought it was. So then what you do is you have to repeat that entire process to figure out why it wasn't funny. So the similarities are really striking. And for me, working with Neil and Star Talk, which is our podcast, and people thought, oh wow, you really know your stuff, thinking like, oh wow, you just know it. No, you know, we would have scientists on the show, and I have to go read their work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, details, details. (laughs) From that, uh, that exposure basically made it so that it was very easy for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. We have. Let's go play some of your clips because they're really funny. We have some of them here. And Chuck, here's one of your jokes about climate change. And I want you to listen to it. We'll all listen to it. And when I come back, I want you to tell us why this is such a good joke.
1: I really admire people who take personal steps to mitigate their carbon footprint. However, I have to admit, whenever I see like a grown man in Manhattan going to work in a suit on a skateboard, (laughs) I can't help but think to myself, is that a socially responsible (laughs) eco-warrior or just some dude with five DUIs? it's kind of hard to know the difference because on the outside it looks the same you know on the outside it's just like I'm a socially responsible eco warrior lowering my carbon footprint by going to work on a skateboard (laughs) and on the inside it could be like this is
0: Oh, that that that's a that's a great joke, Chuck.
1: Um, Thank you. How did you, how did you f- decide that that would be a joke and then craft it? That joke came out of I remember specifically a conversation with someone who was very upset with the self righteous nature of people who think they're so doggone special because <laughs> they're saving the planet. <laughs> and so from from that. I was like, wow, this guy is really angry. <laughs> like, where does that anger come from? And then I started thinking about it and I thought about, oh, you know, the anger comes from the fact that there are people who are demonstrably uh, concerned about this issue. And they will let you know that you ought to be concerned too. And that upsets people for some reason. And uh, I started trying to think about how do I how do I convey that but I wanted wanted to convey it in a way where you get the message, but it's silly. Uh, And a guy on a skateboard in a three-piece suit going to work in Manhattan, which I have seen.
3: He's probably a finance Um, bro, so, (laughs) you (laughs) know.
1: (laughs) And <laughs> he probably is a finance bro. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, I was like, that's the imagery. That's it right there. Because if you've been in New York, you've probably seen that. And, you know, you could say, oh, that's a guy who's wanting to save right, the planet. Right. Or just a guy with five DUIs.
0: That's cool. Uh, well, let's talk about, the you know, scientists like to deconstruct things. So let's deconstruct the joke. What makes a good joke, Kyle? Walk me through the process of writing A new joke. I'm in the writer's room. What does it look like?
3: Totally. Um, There is such a thing as a writer's room, although a lot of stand-ups don't necessarily have that benefit. So like, you know, sketch rooms, you know, writing for late night TV, you get writer's rooms and bounce ideas with other people. But the process for a stand-up is totally solo for the most part. And so... You know sometimes some of us like me for example i like to start with you know a story like what do i find funny about something that happened to me but some stand-ups are just like you know set up punchline set up punchline laps per minute and i think that's what's so great about the process is like everybody has a different process but to go from the start the middle is always the same we need to bring it to people we need to understand that like hey This setup is too long for this audience. They are impatient. They are drunk. They don't want to have to think about what's funny. So I need to let go of some stuff. People paid to laugh. And, you know, the 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 craft and like the the comedian in me is like, OK, how much do I need to cut? And then there's a scientist in me and like the educator in me who's like, OK, how much can I buy time for so I can set up like sort of how I think and get them to think the way that I do so that they're laughing the way that I would at this joke?
0: Hmm. Kasha, are, are there any topics that are off limits that are harder to write jokes about? I mean, you've got physics, climate change your research methodology, statistics. (laughs) What do you say to, uh, to, do you have to put stuff off the table that you can't tell a joke about?
2: Um, I think you just have to be creative in how you tell the joke. It's all about how you package it. Climate change, in my experience, in terms of scientific topics, is one of the harder topics to make jokes about. I've tried it. It just bums people out as soon as they hear the word climate change. And also there's a lot of other stuff connected to those words. It's a lot of political beliefs attached to it. And even if you're just talking about something that's just the science, which is what I wanna focus on, you still have to address the other things. But like I said, it's all about how you package it for an audience. So I don't think there's anything necessarily off limits in science. It's just they have to be really funny, extra tight, right. and right. you have to find the right angle.
0: Well, well, Chuck, there's, if there's nothing off limits that you have to assume That the audience is at least fluent in science to get the joke.
1: No, because your job is to uh, bring the commonality of the room together. So, you know, wherever that common thread is sewn through us all, that's what you want to do with comedy. So if you're, let's say you're talking about, um, you know, not everybody's married, but, you know, most married comedians do jokes about marriage. They don't assume that people have to be married to get these jokes. Um, And not everybody has children, but uh, every comic with children does jokes about children. They don't assume you have to be a parent in order to get the jokes. The idea is to make it so that you find the identifiable commonalities in the subject matter so that everyone can relate to it. In
0: case you're just joining us, this is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. We're talking about the comedy of science with comedians Kasha Patel, Chuck nice, and Kyle Marin Viterbo. Oh well, let me ask Kasha because I watched your s I watched your special and you were doing a whole special about the oceans right and my question to you is then is the purpose of the joke or the the special about the oceans is it to Sneakily give people information that they no- won't normally get, but you put it in a joke wrapper and they get it? Or is it something else?
2: For me, my personal motivation is to sneak the science into my regular stand-up um, because I found that in order to sustain my science comedy shows, I need to practice the jokes. And as Chuck said, the only way to practice it is in front of as many people as you can. And unfortunately, I don't get to perform for scientists uh, every day at 10 p.m. Uh, on a Tuesday. <laughs> so, But, you know, I just try and bring them in, uh, a a carrot. They kind of sniff that and then uh, bring them in and surprise them with something that they can learn.
0: Well, let's bring... I have a clip from one of your shows this year at a show in New York in the fall. And you were talking about your wedding and you turned it into a lesson on neuroscience. Let's listen to that.
2: Um, I was explaining how beautiful it was to my friend who couldn't make it because I didn't invite her. <laughs> and I was saying, like, you know, I want to remember this day forever. And she, who was a neuroscientist, told me that actually... Every time you recall a memory, you risk the chance of manipulating it, and it gets further away from the reality that it actually was. And I thought about it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I think she's right, because I remember her being way more pleasant <laughs> when we first met. Oh. <laughs> I love
3: that
0: joke so much. Oh,
3: good that's joke. Good. That was
0: good. That is a great joke. Jo- How long does it take to write a joke?
2: like that? <laughs> well, I just got married in July and I was just trying to write anything new. And the only thing I could think about was I'm married and I have this wedding. And, you know, it's what Chuck said. People, not everyone's married, but you do married jokes. So I was trying out my wedding jokes. They weren't really hitting as well. And then I was thinking about memories. Right. Everyone always They know these facts about memories. And the funny thing is, when I say the part where my neuroscientist friend said, every time you recall a memory, you risk the chance of losing it and manipulating it. Every time I did that joke, people in the crowd nodded their head yes Mm -hmm. or, like, poked their friend. I was like, that's true. And that actually doesn't happen with too many of my jokes, where all these non-sciencey people are like, that's right. And they can actually (laughs) fact check it in real time and then the ending of it i was like okay what's a a creative way to end this and i thought just making it a little meta and bringing it back to the joke of what she's saying bring it back onto itself i think one of my favorite things especially with that joke Kasha, like
3: is that you know you don't you don't need to know who in the room is a science aficionado or, or has read enough about memories and neuroscience like The thing that makes people laugh the hardest is that we're all thinking it. (laughs) And like, that's the funniest part about it. Because like, Kasha got to tell what the process of like memory making is. But the thing that made people laugh so hard was the fact that we said out loud the thing that we're not allowed to say to somebody's face, which was like... Okay, you were nicer way before, you know? And that's that's kind of how right. we all get to laugh at it, but hey, you you learned something along the way
2: and you're not going to forget it cuz you laughed real hard. <laughs>
3: Maybe a little too
2: hard. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the hope, right? Like, I've had people come up to me after a set, show their phone, saying, hey, that study you talked about is actually real. And I was like, yeah, all my premises are true. I'm not making up science here. But it's cool that I inspired them enough to remember it and Google it later.
0: We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from science comedians Kasha Patel, Kyle, Marion Viterbo, and Chuck Nice after this break. This is Science Friday, I'm Ira Flatow. We're talking science comedy this hour, and this is comedian Sammy Obeid performing one of his many science-themed jokes. I trip and I fall all the time. Gravity and I have an abusive relationship. Like I'll show up to my friends with like bruises and scars, they're like, Sammy, did Gravity do that to you? Come on, it's cool. like, Sammy, did gravity do that to you? I'm like, yeah, but you don't know gravity like I do. You know what I mean? It keeps me grounded and down to earth. He just follows me everywhere I go, you know? How hard does he hit you, Sammy? How hard does he hit you? 9.8 meters per second squared. We've been talking about how science can be a subject of comedy and how comedy can be a science communication tool with my guests, comedians Kyle Marion Viterbo, Chuck Nice, and Kasha Patel. Well, we know that comedy is an art form known for pushing boundaries of what's acceptable to talk about. Like you hear us bleeping some swear words there. And do you see that famous boundary pushing happening in your science adjacent jokes too? Are they just as vulnerable to, uh, to those boundaries, Chuck?
1: Yes. A big chunk of my uh, uh, show right now is about science literacy, being scientifically literate. And more importantly, how America is becoming anti-science. Now, I I won't say that we're actually becoming anti-science. I will say that, for some reason, we're embracing it more readily. Um, And, of course, that brings up all this politics, and people feel this tension, and, you know, they know what I'm talking about, and they know who I'm talking about when I do that. And you will be surprised how many people um, get upset Because I'm saying that we should resist being anti-science, you know. However, if I were to look at things scientifically, I would say it makes perfect sense that we are anti-science because the human brain does not work. uh, If you think about empirical data being a measure of information That's a very recent occurrence in human evolution. That is not something that, you know, mostly what we looked for as a human brain is patterns. So it makes sense that we're kind of anti-science, but not really in the greatest technologically advanced nation in the world, which is what we're supposed to be, when really uh, you find out we're just kind of masquerading as, you know, stupid people with really (laughs) great toys.
3: (laughs) Chucky like you more than me you have toured a lot around, across the country yes. with stand up and we sell shows to science shows people buy into it they know what they're buying into but when we do our science jokes at red- regular comedy clubs right. the times where it like falls flat or we lose the room we feel it like people don't have to heckle and like yell back at us which has happened And that's the thing that really drives it into me when I'm doing stand-up and, like, bringing in the science is, like okay, I I can't get it. I can't get them to laugh about science. But like, it then becomes like that driving force behind me to be like, okay, how am I going to get them to laugh about the science? Okay, this audience isn't into it. If I talk about anti-science or, you know, anti-vaccination,
2: like, how am I going to get them on my side? And then I, I work on that, you know?
0: That's an interesting way of looking at it.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I can say something along those same lines. So I wanted to know... So like I said earlier, I do science jokes, but I do non-science jokes as well. And then for my TEDx talk that I did, I analyzed 500 of my jokes. I classified them as science and non-science jokes. And I found out that my science jokes actually did better than my non-science jokes. And this was told probably primarily to non-science audiences because I perform, you know, four to 11 times a week. Like most of the time, those aren't science shows, right? So to me, it was interesting that that this is like what the great gift of comedy is, that if you are able to hit it right, like Ira, you asked me, you know, is there a topic in science that's off limits? No, I mean, if you are able to figure out the angle, like Chuck's joke, I think was so great, because the three-piece suit on the skateboard, I'm in D.C., I don't need to be in Manhattan. We have that version here. They're on scooters. And then you make it, it's all about the diversion, where it's like, oh, this person looks very socially, you know, uh, 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 very green. But then what's the surprising other explanation for it? Like the way it's crafted, it's crafted like a regular joke, just like with science terms in there. And I think that, the audience, non-scientists want that. They just don't know that they want it. And that's why it's up to us to use comedy, in my opinion, to like sneak it in there. Spring it on them.
0: Speaking of scientists and non-scientists, it occurred to me while you were talking that there were a lot of scientists who were very angry at the TV show the Big Bang Theory. Because <laughs> <Yes>. they <laughs> they thought they were making fun of scientists. When in fact if you looked at the actual science they were talking about, it was real. Right?
2: Well, I think a lot of comedy writers also did not like that comedy show. So, everyone just kind of hated that show who that it was represented in there, I suppose. No,
1: well, the
0: audience loved it.
1: So. <laughs> right,
2: right. They did. And they
1: did. however, yeah. I will say the uh, the one benefit that the show did have culturally was that it made um embracing science, science literacy, um the professions that they all held All of those things became far more acceptable and even somewhat glamorous because they're being glorified on television. Uh, And I thought that that was a good thing.
3: One thing I would like to add, too, is like with comedy, any form of comedy, whether it's like sketch, stand up, whatever, our audiences have to give us permission to misbehave. And that's what makes it funny because we're talking about like human failures and like why it's so weird to be a human being and I think sometimes we do get this pushback from you know scientists from organizations that like using humor and comedy is a no-no because it doesn't look good for the PR of scientists you know like you're pushing people's you know understanding of like what it's what's okay to say as a scientist, as a comedian, and, like, if you don't frame it perfectly, then you fail. And, like, a huge part Mm. of both science and stand-up is that you have to keep failing to figure out how to say it the best way.
0: Speaking of saying the best way, I want to play a clip of yours, Kyle, from one of your recent performances in which you, you go out of your way to challenge the historic lack of diversity in who gets to be a scientist. Let's hear that now.
3: I'm a former scientist, and I feel like there's always a hero story whenever someone's like, I'm a scientist, listen to me. But it's interesting because my hero story starts in the Philippines. I don't know if you guys know this, but in the Philippines, we consume a lot of American media. And uh, I was watching something, and I fell in love with science because I fell in love with Indiana Jones. (laughs) So hot. But what was funny, too, is like, okay, cut to a few years later, you know, our parents decide to bring us to New York City, we immigrate, and I realize I can finally follow the American dream. Become a white man (laughs) (laughs) who has tenure. off in the middle of lectures go to a developing nation steal something from indigenous peoples and say that belongs in a museum <laughs> but it's not stealing <laughs> white people am I right
1: <laughs> that's brilliant brilliant that is wow you you hit all you hit all the notes <laughs> that was amazing that was great <laughs>
2: And it's crazy because it's like, you know, I just read a story about how, like, you know, archaeologists were taking stuff from, like, Mexico. And there was just, I mean, it's just like, it's a fight that's still going on.
1: Yes.
0: Well, Kyle, did you feel and do you feel that's part of your goal as a comedian to help keep these things in view?
2: I mean, this is
3: why I gravitated towards stand-up. And it was at a time when I was, like, you know, feeling really burnt out by being a paleoanthropologist. By the fact that I'm Filipino, I wanted to study human evolution in island Southeast Asia, and the permissions I had to get from Western museums, from all of these, you know, white men in power, to get a chance to study and look at fossils... About, you know, and, and really understand what it meant to be, you know, from island Southeast Asia where humans came from. Like, you know, all of these museums that still hold power over these things and like have first rights to study these things. Like, these were things that were at the back of my head and kind of nagging me even as I was doing my research. But I never had the courage to talk about it openly until I found stand up. I just feel like there is, for me, power in being able to actually speak that out loud. Like one of my proudest moments is hosting a comedy show, you know, about how museums are not neutral spaces and to actually host it with a bunch of museum people in the audience, many of whom were uncomfortable, but I had the few people who were people of color come up to me laughing so hard at how uncomfortable everybody was. Like, you know, if it, if, it a, if a regular stand up saw that, they would have thought I bombed. But the fact that they were really uncomfortable, that they were part of, you know, a systemic issue like that, that felt so good.
0: Ka-Kasha, you you're involved with NASA. How does your stand up comedy connect to the more straightforward, serious work that you do?
2: That's a good question. You know, I think it's so interesting. I always like talking to Chuck and Kyle because I think all three of us, every science community I meet, has kind of a different perspective on what they want their science comedy to mean. Um, Kyle is very targeted. I think it's extremely important. Um, I try and go for, like, Sci- I just try and go for like the broadest brush that I can get, right? So for NASA, everyone loves space. So I just try and educate them. Like when I worked at NASA, I have a lot of jokes about what it's like to work at NASA because people always ask me that. And I have a joke about how it was really hard working there because everyone... Um, Uh, because everyone loves NASA more than any other government agency. Like, I've never seen someone walking around with a shirt that said IRS because they liked what they did in the 60s. (laughs) So in that same regard, so my my science comedy is more of just trying to get the broadest brush and communicate scientific findings. Earlier, Kyle said that, you know, some stand-up comedians are more... Um, premise punchline. And that's what I would classify myself as, where I I sift through scientific studies. I'll like write a headline Almost That's like how it kind of relates to my journalism. Mm. I think of the premise as the headline of an article. It just has the bare minimum of what you need to understand it. And then I'll write like a one to two sentence punchline right after that.
0: Chuck, I've got a wild card question for you. Go right ahead. Ukraine's President Zelensky is a comedian turned politician, right? That's right. Well, as a comedian who knows comedians, are you surprised that he turned out to be such a charismatic
1: leader? Not at all. One of the things that uh, being a comedian is most about, and Kyle touched on it without saying it this way, is that what we do is we hold up a mirror to society. And sometimes uh, people don't like what they see in that mirror. And if that's the case, then we're considered being Uh, a person who speaks truth to power and then sometimes people identify with that mirror and then we're considered uh the comedian who know who has their finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist but the truth is we're doing the same thing no matter what we're just holding up this mirror so that people can take an honest Look at themselves, because that is really what it's about. Authenticity and honesty um, in the reflection of of society through our particular gaze. This is
0: Science Friday from WNYC Studios, talking about the comedy of science. We've got one more joke for you. This is comedian Ronnie Chang talking about encountering COVID-19 deniers on the Internet.
2: All right, like this is the miraculous technological error that we live in right
1: now. Okay, within three months, in March 2020, they decoded the genome of the virus. Yeah, they decoded it. They decoded it, they were like, yo, everyone look, we found it, we found the enemy. Everybody look, we got it right here. Look, it's can you imagine showing that to these idiots on Facebook? <laughs> Demanding evidence. So what's, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? So right here, yeah, we got it. We found the exact sequence of proteins and amino acids.
2: The f- is this shit? <laughs> Oh yeah, right, you decoded a genome.
0: What about scientists? Is the takeaway that everyone, especially scientists, should just be funnier when they talk about their research? Is this a takeaway message? Does the world need funny scientists?
3: Uh, You don't have to be funnier to be hilarious. (laughs) Um, I think, (laughs) I think, like it's a skill set, right? Like the fact that you know anyone can start something, anyone can start a craft, anyone can start a little bit of stand-up, but. It's a long-term skill set in playing with communicating and connecting with your audience. And so I think, you know, I've trained up academics and scientists to, to, do, to add a little humor to their work, but, you know, it's something that gives us the flexibility and to like to be able to really listen to our audience, which, you know, these days we need more of.
0: Gotcha.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Stand-up comedy is hard. Um, Like Kyle said, it is a skill set that you have to hone. Um, I actually just recently published a study with some other science, uh, like real PhD science people, that's what they're called. Um, And (laughs) we did a bunch of my science jokes, uh, and we had a bunch of different comedians say them in front of an audience. And they were either labeled as a scientist or comedian for one of the scenarios. And we found out that people thought that if the joke wasn't that funny, they thought that the scientist was a less effective communicator than the comedian, which is a little bit surprising. To me, I took that to mean that people have the stereotype of what scientists are that if you try and be funny and you don't make it, the repercussions for that are a lot harder than if you're labeled as a comedian. And I think what the stand-up comedy teaches us, like Kyle's a good example where she talks about what it's like to be a scientist. And you mentioned scientists hate Big Bang Theory. Well, the reason they don't like Big Bang Theory is because it's all science stereotypes. It's scientists who are nerds. They can't communicate well. And I think all three of us show that you can talk about science in a fun and engaging way. And I'm not saying that scientists need to be funny and be cracking punchlines. But I think tapping into more of their personality, um, you know, the basis for good stand-up comedy is also the basis for good communication in general.
0: Well, I got to say, I think this was the funniest segment we, we've done in 31 years on Science Friday. And I want to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny right that, there. Notice we all laughed.
2: <laughs> yeah. well, you... We're like, you should really come to our shows. You, you, you'd you be a great <laughs> audience. You're <left>
0: laughing with us, not at us, I'm hoping. <sighs> Absolutely. <so. laughs> Kasha Patel, yes. Chuck Nice, and our own Kyle Marin Vertubo. Thank you very much all for taking time to be with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank
3: you. Thanks for having us.
0: You can find links to more of their work, plus other great comics, it's up there on our website, sciencefriday.com comedy.